Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic and asteroids. What's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. It's Mo. I'm excited to report that I'll be sharing brand new mobituaries starting on January 11th. In the meantime, I'd like you to hear a special conversation I recorded with my CBS News colleague and friend, Major Garrett, back in November. Major has a terrific podcast called The Takeout, and as the name would suggest, most episodes are taped over a meal. For this chat, we dined together at Trattoria del Arte, across from Carnegie Hall here in New York City. We talked in depth about season three of Mobituaries while noshing on burrata and octopus. Actually, I did all the eating, which I feel kind of bad about. I really don't mind sharing, really. Unless it's a wet dessert. I will not share a wet dessert. I am sorry. It is way too intimate. Anyway, I got to tell Major how some of this season's episodes came to be. You'll also hear me talk about an episode of Mobituaries we have coming up later in the month. The story of Samantha Smith, the 10-year-old girl from Maine whose letter to then-Soviet premier Yuri Andropov in the 1980s made headlines. Here is that episode of The Takeout, hosted by CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett, and featuring me, Mo Rocca, as his guest. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major. Fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. You know, we are winding to a close of the year 2022. And this episode is going to be particularly special for me because... It's about a topic I love. Maybe it's a topic you love, too. It's a podcast, not this one. There's no podcast I love more than this one. You know that, my dear friends. But it's very close. Mobituaries. Mobituaries is the beautiful, luminous, journalistic work of Mo Rocca. Mo, it's great to see you. Thanks for being with you. And I mean this. It is an amazing achievement. I love every episode I immerse myself in every episode, and I am enriched by every episode. I'm just going to fanboy on you for like the next 45 minutes, if that's okay. It is totally fine. And I did bring my wallet, by the way, (laughs) unless this is... No, no. Dinner is always on us here at the takeout. So, speaking of that, we are in New York City. Trattoria del Arte. Want to do that for me? I think that was... Is that okay? That was like passable. It was great. (laughs) And we're going to talk about mobituaries. You're midway through season three. Uh Uh-huh. The second part of season three will start right about when 2023 starts. Yep. For those who may not know about this wonderful place to find great stories about Americans who've been slightly overlooked or maybe heavily overlooked, what is the construct? What is the premise, the passion behind mobituaries? So it's people or things um, 
in uh, this season, we even included a fruit uh, that um, that uh, deserve a second look that passed on and didn't get the recognition that I think they deserved. Um, and then they also, oh, what is that? Octopus calamari braised. Oh, I tears. love that. I love that. How I, special is that? And Mo Rocca, that will be all yours. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, because you saw the dog. Oh, what is that? Oh, that's great. Oh, the burrata. So oh, and thank you for adding the anchovies because burrata is nothing without anchovies. Okay. Oh, that would be great. Please, thank you so right much. Ahead. Thank yes, you very indeed. much. This is an indulgent culinary experience entirely from Mo Rocca. Sure. A bit of well, yeah. I'm guessing you saw the documentary about the octopus, right? That everybody. That I see all good. the documentaries on octopus. Uh, yeah, and so that's why I, I have not. I'm waiting to see it until after I eat this. Okay, very good. So it's basically things that I think deserve a second look um, that didn't get the send off they deserved the first time, or maybe didn't get any send off at all. Um, so already this season we had John Denver, uh, we had names, yes. that, and I'm sorry that we didn't include Major, because that would have been really interesting, actually. Do you know where it ranks, Major? Very, it, very low. Yeah, yeah. Very, very It does not make the top 10,000, I don't think, ever. Yeah. But that's been an advantage for me, so I'm good with that. It probably is. So, yeah, so, um, so we looked at names like Mildred, Bertha, and Todd, which... Um, fell off the map i was surprised that todd had fallen off the map yeah. in the early 70s um and uh um so it's been it's been a, a blast just to kind of dive into these different topics and what strikes me about this second look process is in some instances the subject matter got a look like john denver for example john denver in his time was a sensation yeah and the treatment of it this time was He's different than the caricature or the popular understanding of what John Denver was. Well, you know, I don't know if you remember this. And look, it might have just been in my own little tiny corner of the world. But when he died, and I, I didn't, we didn't mention this in the podcast, but I remember a lot of like really snarky jokes mm. about him. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of the same way as a child that I remembered when Elvis died. The very first time I heard the word loser was on the playground at Woodacres Elementary School in Bethesda, Maryland. And Elvis had died, I guess, in the summer. And when I came, it showed up, August, and I guess, yeah. yeah, in third grade. And somebody mentioned Elvis, and this girl said, he was a loser. And um, yeah, and not exactly and, right. No, exactly. And but but John Denver had come to this place where he'd sort of become a punchline, mm-hmm. and and so I thought, well, that's this is rich because I'm not the only one telling Alexa to play John Denver's greatest hits. Nope. A lot of people are doing this, Correct. and and Kurt Cobain apparently when he grew up, his mother only had one album in the house, and it was the John Denver's greatest hits, and he listened to it over and over again. And I was probably. <clears throat> Mo Rock is sympathetic to that retelling of the John Denver story because I think that's what's going to happen when Neil Diamond dies. Mm. And I'm a huge Neil Diamond fan, an unapologetic Neil Diamond fan. I believe he is an exceptional songwriter. His latter part of his career is a little bit kitschier than the first part of his career, but I think he's a substantial member of the American songbook, and he's not treated that way. He's not regarded that way, and I think when, whatever that day comes, it will be a sequined reference and a lot of ribbing of people in the in the side well that guy was really kind of just a low-level entertainer not true yeah i agree with that well i mean people at fenway would what right yes fenway they, would love it because revered. Sweet caroline yeah but um but but, but they would also just regard that as like a baseball song no it's actually a really good song in itself well i think you're right and i think this is what happens it seems like with a lot of really really 
um, mass appeal entertainers. And of course, it's foolish. Like the audience is smart. They attach themselves to something for a good reason. People right. punch through, not by accident. And <clears throat> the process of a mobituary is to tell the story of a person's life in the context of the times in which they lived it. Not our modern times, because some of the issues and some of the people are viewed maybe more harshly now than they were in the time in which they lived, or they were subject to pressures unlike the pressures they would face now. Back in season two, there's a tribute to really one of the greatest entertainers ever, Sammy Davis Jr. Right. And that story is about his time, his struggles, and how he moved through them. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I'd like to try to go back and, and, and help the audience understand how the person was received in their time. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there's a point of view, so I mean, I, I can't, it's, it would be a cheat for me to say, oh, we're not judging them by contemporary standards. That's not a, true, but I also don't wanna, look, when we did Latin Lovers in the first half of this se season, Valentino, Ramon Navarro, Fernando Lamas, mm -hmm. You know, Valentino's 100 years before Me Too, okay? Mm -hmm. And so I get it. These A lot of these movies haven't dated well. Correct. Um, but 83% of moviegoers were women at the time. I mean, he was created by women. I mean, the matinee <laughs> idol was created by women who at that time, you know, that's what they wanted. And so I didn't feel like digging up women that have been dead for 70 and 80 years and putting them on trial. I mean, for like what they liked. Exactly. I think it's, you know, it's it's sort of this is what was at the time. And of course, you know, we add a little bit of like my viewpoint on it, but I'm interested in what created this phenomenon at the time. Why, why people were literally killing themselves when he died because there was such hysteria. And tastes are tastes. And one of the ways to understand how a culture evolves is to understand tastes of a different era. Totally. Yes. And I if mean, you don't understand the tastes of a different era, you can't mark yourself and how things have changed. Exactly. And one of the ways of appreciating and sort of quantifying change and evolution is, well, what were the tastes back then and why? Mm -hmm. How did we get here? And also, I don't think... <clears throat> I don't think most people are that judgmental anyway. Right. I don't think most people are sitting there going, oh, that's so terrible. I mean... There is a there is a sort of self-defined judgment or judgmental industrial complex, but most people are not a member of it. That's hysterical. <laughs> the judgmental industrial complex is perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. But most people don't count themselves in that, and they want to know, like, for example, going back to John Denver, I didn't realize until I listened, not only did he have a successful songwriting career, but, and we'll talk more about this on the other side of the break, yeah. uh, he had one of the most watched Christmas specials in the history of broadcast television. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not, it, it's, it, it's, it's not the, quite the level of, say, my podcast or yours. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. 65 million people tuned in to the Rocky Mountain Christmas special in 1975. And, you know, when I found it, you can find it on YouTube. I, I don't, I'm not sure it's supposed to be there, but it's, um, it is... And, you know, you and I are not far apart in age, and so you can smell the 70s just by listening to this thing. It is so evocative of kind of a weird sort of wan kind of energy. You know, John Denver, it's sort of, there are scenes of nature. There's um, 
flying a slow-mo shot of a flying squirrel there's a sequence on the life life cycle of the brook trout and we're going to hold on the brook trout and all the other scenery because we need to go to break do we have brook trout coming, by we, the way? Maybe because the brook I need some trout fish, some more way. fish with the Rock and Major Garrett segment two of the takeout coming up in just a second. Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic, and asteroids. What's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to segment two of The Takeout. Trotteria del Arte in Midtown Manhattan. Our special guest, Mo Rocca. And I am just going to fanboy for the next 40 minutes because it's about mobituaries. It's about this phenomenal podcast that grew out of your work on CBS Sunday Morning and this gathering of information, observation, and archival sound that brings to life people who deserve a second look. And we'll get back to the John Denver Christmas special from 1976 in a second, but you are the editorial agent of control over who gets the second look are you not yeah i mean i don't know i don't know if you feel this way too i just feel like i've learned to trust my gut i don't want that in a leader necessarily but like (laughs) (laughs) for editorial i'm right you know if something gets me in the gut i think there's something about say john denver that and I mentioned this in the podcast i was this is going to be a name drop but i participated in a reading that a friend put on a playwright and Julianne Moore was there and she sat right next to me it was really cool and and my friend was being very nice and and said oh Julianne you have to listen to Mo's podcast about obituaries he explained what it was and she said who do you have coming up and I said John Denver and she like she melted she went oh John Denver and and I she like was it's it's sort of like she stepped into a time machine right mm-hmm. there and went right. back and and was just exhaled and and uh um, and I think that there's something that makes people – he's in what I call an undervalued stock. And I think there are people like that, that they're sitting somewhere in the back of our minds. Mm-hmm. And then if you bring them up, people go, oh, my God, that's right. I love that person. Right. And if you can find – those are people that I'm always kind of like, who who is a person like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And go back to the Christmas special. So did you say 68 million people watched um, this? 1976 that is so this is remember ladies and gentlemen let's just go back in the wayback machine with uh sherman and mr, mr. peabody yeah yeah so broadcast television back then was a mass audience structure three networks there were not, were not a lot of choices there weren't streaming alternatives there weren't cable alternatives but still it was highly competitive still, because exactly. of that intense segmented so if you pulled 68 million you were literally pulling 10 million viewers from two other networks yeah at that um, hour it is listen you're absolutely right when people say oh there were only three networks okay that's fine but also the country was also significantly smaller yes okay the country had i think probably you know like 250 and the million competitive people zeal to grab a million viewers let alone 10 million yeah. from another network was off the charts yeah and so when you watch this thing 
it's I mean it's very weirdly 70s he's yes. in basically a he's like basically in a snow globe and an in a biosphere that they've built for him in the Rockies and he's got like growies and greenies as he calls them inside he has all this plant life inside um and um I, 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 the whole thing I'm, I'm not surprised I'm imagining hanging macrame baskets are probably <laughs> in there somewhere and He's got the biggest stars of the day. He's mm-hmm. got Steve Martin in his wild and crazy guy um, period, and and um, Valerie Harper, Olivia Newton-John, um, and he just sort of sings songs. There's kind of a, it's cheerful, but there's also something kind of wan mm-hmm. and sort of seventies about it. And think about the psyche collectively of the country in 1976. Yes, totally. it's a bicentennial year, but we're coming off Vietnam. Vietnam. We're wondering okay. about what what America means after 200 years. Mm-hmm. We are still dealing with the after effects of the civil rights movement, campus riots, all of those things. Watergate is just right in the mm-hmm. rearview mirror, and this idea of almost like this this snow globe commune. Sitting in the middle of living rooms across America found a place of traction, psychically. I think people, it's, it, you look at it and you think, people just needed a break. Yeah. People just needed a break. And even the way everyone in the audience shots, the reaction shots, I mean, there's a, there's a, I wouldn't say a cult like quality to it, but everyone looks mildly sedated. Like and so, wait, what right. was everyone's doing Valium. It's right. like a very, it's like the, the, that crowd and uh, um, and everyone's sort of naturally attractive. Like no one seems to be wearing makeup. None of the women and so um, and he's sort of strumming his guitar and they're having a sing along. Um, and one of the things yeah. I love about the obituaries about John Denver, and I promise we'll get onto other parts yeah. of obituary season three. But I found this deeply meaningful to me because I had sort of overlooked John Denver until recently got the greatest hits on my iTunes and we all remember I certainly remember the time Rocky Mountain High having a kind of hilarious end joke Rocky Mountain High everyone stoned that's not what the song is about and the first three stanzas of that song I urged my audience go back and listen to it it is beautiful evocative life journey writing it really is and I mean yeah, and he went and he testified, in fact, during the um, Parents' Music Research Council, right, mm-hmm. the Tipper Gore hearings, right. what are commonly known as that, and and said, you know, my song was not was not about that. It seems almost quaint now mm-hmm. because no one would care today if they thought it w- was about being high. But people did back then, and it was people sort of did. like an allegation yeah. against it, like a celebration of sitting around a campfire and just getting stoned, and that's, right. all, that's all American youth could do, and how terrible that was, and... We ought to do something about that. <laughs> no, arms akimbo. Absolutely no. He, um, no, it was his. It was his reaction to seeing the the Perseid meteor shower from twelve thousand feet up in the Rockies, and how beautiful that was to him. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, how is it that people like John Denver? And I imagine you've thought about this because you're saying this person deserves a second look. Have you ever? come to a unified theory about why they didn't get the good look the first time? Hmm. Um, well, I think it's probably different in every case. I think for John Denver, I do think that he would have been recognized more had he lived longer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, as, as you know, one of the, in, in the podcast, Bill Flanagan, who's a great music writer, mm-hmm. and I talk about how today he might be Dolly Parton. 
right. he might have been Dolly Parton. This enduring person of with a with a, a great songbook that is a touchstone for lots of people yeah. over many generations. Yeah, I think so. And I don't know what the statistics are, but I bet that. The, the 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 number of times his songs are played would probably surprise a lot of us, like how they're still played. So, um, yeah, I think he would be a figure like that. And uh, um, so I'm not I'm not I'm not sure. It's it's a it's I think it's different every time. So who is Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and why did they rate a obituary? Well, Mr. and Mrs. Smith rated him obituary because actually the producer of that episode, um, Zoe Marcus, had sent long ago an image of a Time magazine cover from 1967 um, that simply says Mr. and Mrs. Smith, an interracial marriage. And I remember being struck that I had not known the story that Dean Rusk, the Georgia Democrat who was um, the Secretary of State under Kennedy and and LBJ, that his daughter, who was white, uh, married a black man in 1967, and that that would have been put on the cover of Time magazine. And and one of the details really jumped out at me that Dean Rusk, her father, had offered his resignation to the president because he was worried that the publicity around it would compromise you know, crucial Southern support in Congress for the president's agenda on, I guess, civil rights and Vietnam. But um, um, that one marriage yeah, could be so yeah, galvanizing yeah. as to possibly jeopardize the political prospects of a president of the United States. Right. But what also kind of captivated me was the idea of this young couple in love who end up on the cover of Time magazine and then are completely forgotten, which they they were very happy about. They retired, they moved as young people to central Virginia and raised horses all their lives. I mean, she was Peggy Rusk, the daughter of the Secretary of State, was not like a, did not aspire to be a Washington doyen or social mm-hmm. climber. She just had no interest in that. She found this guy, fell in love, they married, and they just wanted to get away from it all and be with horses, which is how they met. And why is 1967 a particularly important Important year. Because it ends up being this year where it starts with um, Loving versus Virginia and the unanimous ruling and um, uh, that uh, struck down bans in 16 states against mixed race marriages. And then you have this marriage in the middle, and then you have guests who's coming to dinner, um, the huge box office success at the end of that year. And then there's a little detail that I thought was really interesting that Sidney Poitier. I'm going to hold you right yeah. that because Please. that interesting detail is a perfect segue and a grabber for the next segment of the takeout. And that's what Mo Rocca is doing, and the Barada is here, and I'm Major Garrett back for more of our deeply enjoyable conversation about Mobituary Season Three here on the Takeout. Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic and asteroids. What's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. This is not a rhetorical question. How delightful is it to spend the 
end of 2022 in the presence of Mo Rocca in downtown Midtown New York. It's spectacular. I told you it was not a rhetorical question. Our subject matter is Mo Rocca, of course, Mobituaries. Midway through season three, um, we're talking about Mr. and Mrs. Smith. One of the things I found very interesting about that episode is Dean Rusk's daughter, who becomes Mrs. Smith, doesn't really think much of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the movie, yeah. which wasn't, as you said, a box office sensation then and is regarded as one of these turning point movies of its time. Yeah. And people who watch it now find great inspiration, substance, emotion, and a kind of clarity in it. But that didn't really land that way with her, it sounded like to me. You know, it, it didn't. And I found her as a character so interesting because she was and and i'm sure when you encounter this i'd like i I, i'm guessing you're happy about it she's like someone who's never watched tv because (laughs) she doesn't have the cadence of a tv interviewee Mm -hmm. she just answers like she'll sometimes do like one word answers Mm -hmm. and she talks like a normal person i'm like what are you doing why are you being so normal like you're supposed to talk like people do on tv and give these answers you're supposed to give me the answers i'm expecting what is wrong here no it's so and but what i what what i also found sort of inspiring is kind of she had this clarity that she was in love with this guy and that's all that mattered she wasn't really i was sort of taken aback when she said she wasn't following the supreme court case now that's probably because she was in a state where she was in the district of columbia and she was going to get married in california there wasn't going to be an issue there in 1967 those rights were protected yeah but but but, still. but she wasn't she just says look I don't know what to tell you I wasn't doing this to make a cultural impact or make a political point I was doing it because I was in love and when I interviewed the great entertainer Leslie Uggams who married a white man an Australian two years before 1965 she sort of said the same thing like mm-hmm. you know when you're in love with somebody you're not really thinking about the social issue aspect of it I mean mm-hmm. you know and that's maybe one of the ways you know it's really deep and abiding mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they're not distracted by all these other things. They just know what they are yeah. and who they are and yes. what it means to be together. Right. Exactly. And there's a abject beauty to that. Mm-hmm. Completely. It's so pure. Mm-hmm. And in its, in its sort of plainness and ordinariness, it seems to me as I was listening, felt extraordinary. Yeah, I uh, well, I'm glad you feel that way. Thank you, and uh, um, and thank her. But um, it's um, and I hope that that's why it's that that people that it's landing with a lot of people who are sick of everything, every personal story becoming a news, becoming a political story necessarily, right. because it doesn't, it it just doesn't, it doesn't fit it that neatly. And if, if you allow me, Mo, I'd like to reach back to season two uh, to talk about Sammy Davis Jr. Mm. Um, because some uh, in this audience may not have a real memory of Sammy Davis Jr. You have to be a, a person of a certain age, like you and I are. You right. and I grew up watching Sammy on television. And even then, I knew he was amazing, but I didn't know until I listened to the show how highly he was regarded by the superstars of his time. Yeah, he really was when he was at Ciro's nightclub in Los Angeles. I mean, people, everyone wanted to get in and see him perform. And he was quite young then. He, he was primarily a dancer then. And uh, 
um, and part of a nightclub act with his father and part of the Will Maston mm-hmm. trio. Um, but even then, you know, people were fighting to get in and see this this masterful performer. And then you know, he lost his eye and he came back from that. But part of why I wanted to do him just because not just my admiration and affection and call it death of an entertainer is because entertainer, the word, sometimes people are a little kind of think it sounds a little cheese ball Mm -hmm. but they're dismissive of it right but to be a capital e entertainer Mm -hmm. like that um that's really special to be somebody who performs you know in vegas and then goes back to his hotel room and does the whole act again with liza minnelli because they both just love performing that's like that's a certain drive and an energy that that we all are great should be grateful for to have that person in our lives. And there's a theme in that obituary that I think is also important because looking back at entertainers of that era, so in the TV era who made it big, they came out of vaudeville, which was a place that demanded not just one talent. You could not be successful in vaudeville as a single talent entertainer. No. I mean, he was sort of a quintuple threat, I guess. Actor, singer, dancer. He had the gun spinning routine, which was really amazing. Uh, he was also a really great impressionist. And and he was also a groundbreaking impressionist because he was a black impressionist um, um, uh, imitating white actors. Uh, but And when he did that in the Army after being physically beaten regularly, you know, because he was part of the first wave of integrated forces, um, he was so good that that even like the abusive white you know soldiers who had bullied him and worse you know were like whoa this guy is really special and one other theme that comes through subtly but i think it's important because it's a hallmark of people who are successful in times when their success is harder than the people they are around there was a tenacity to sammy yeah there, there, yeah, there, there was, there was, there was a tenacity. He kept going, and I think also there's something. Um, I find something. I, I actually, weirdly enough, was thinking a little bit of Ellen DeGeneres when I was doing this because I remember when I profiled her that she said, you know, I just want to make people laugh. I just want to be an entertainer, and she sort of got caught up in one point in politics and having, you know, and she, she she was okay being an advocate, but what she really wanted to do was entertain, right. and that's kind of Sammy Davis Jr. And by the way, Sammy Davis Jr. went and marched at Selma. He was on the March on Washington, and I think Harry Belafonte even said at one point, I don't understand why Sammy Davis Jr. doesn't get credit for that, and it's seen as somebody who sort of shirked that, which he didn't, but maybe it's because he was so first and foremost an entertainer and loved doing that. There might be one answer. It's referred to in the episode. I remember it in my household growing up when he endorsed Richard Nixon. Well, right. Yeah. And that may be one reason. That why, was yeah. a moment for my Republican parents. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was a moment. Yeah. And they said, see, Richard Nixon must be fine. This this, this amazing, we, we did not use the terminology African-American at yeah, that yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. This, this amazing black American has endorsed Richard Nixon. Yeah. Good enough for Sammy, good enough for us, even wow. in 72. Yeah, That's it was a moment. And you mentioned yeah. in the episode that there was a little bit of, hey, what are you doing among white liberals and maybe some in the civil rights community? Yeah. No, there was. And then he, he, then he gives this great speech. To the says, push conference, right. I am who I am. Right. 
Yeah, it, 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 I'm a black man in America, and I've made a choice. Right. And 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 it was, and I really love talking to Willie Brown about that. Yes. Who is, by the way, just one of the greatest interviews ever. He's so he talk about an individual. Yes. I mean, and and a sharp, uh, an observer, and uh, he has to pick up on something you said earlier a gut sense of politics that yeah. is very very good very right. very sharp always yeah. has yeah and he had sort of a 360 view of sammy he really did and he also really pushed back at the notion that sammy might have been deficient because he was so much about entertainment he was like no he's a great cook he was a you know, a film lover. He was a really sophisticated guy and a great host. So it was, I, I loved hearing his perspective. So when we think about, because we're going to be anticipating 2023 in a lot of different ways, what should we think about? What can you set the table at uh, for coming up from obituaries in the second part of season three? Well, I really wanted to tell the story of Samantha Smith, whom you probably remember but an astonishing number of people have forgotten that in 1983 Mm -hmm. this young girl from maine she wasn't connected she wrote a letter like how many kids were kept awake at night during the 80s and 70s i'm sure terrified that the world was going to be blown up Right. right that the soviet union and america would trade you know icbms and and uh um and she wrote a letter to Yuri Andropov. And with that, another teaser. Mo <laughs> is set at the top of his game. Always at the top of his game. I'm Major Garrett. That's Mo Rocca. Stay tuned for segment four. Because that's a great teaser when we get back. Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic and asteroids, what's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Always fantastic to be in New York City. Even better when I get to sit down for a meal with Mo Rocca. So, Mo, you were talking about a letter. Well, right. Do you remember towards the end of the Soviet Union, there were like a succession of really scary ghouls at the top, right? (laughs) It went went Brezhnev. Sitting atop the Supreme Soviet. Yeah. It went, well, it went Brezhnev and Dropov and Chernyenko, right? Uh, Those were the three. Yeah. I mean, Brezhnev had been there a long time, but, but, and Dropov was like, like particularly a caricature of a scary guy because he'd run the KGB, right? And, uh. And um, and so this girl, Samantha Smith, wrote this letter saying, you know, why do you want to blow up the world, basically? Mm-hmm. And he wrote her back. The letter was published in Pravda um, and said, you know, we don't want that. And, um, you know, people all over the world are the same, blah, 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 blah. And come visit the Soviet Union. And so she went and CBS News covered the hell out of it. It was yes. a very big deal. Mm-hmm. But what I found um, – in previous seasons of the podcast is people under a certain age, really not that much younger than me, but had no clue. And one of the producers said, no, you, this, you've got to do this episode because it, it, no one, I'm telling you, no millennials know this story at all. Not only know that story, but have any sense of 
And you mentioned this before we went to break, and it might have struck people, what? The terror. Terror. The psychic heaviness that came with the Cold War. And in the 70s and 80s, almost once a month, there was a story written about the ever-enlarging stockpiles of nuclear weapons and how many times over one side or another could obliterate planet Earth. Yeah. Yeah. That was heavy. It was real. And it weighed on you every single day. It weighed on you. And and so when I hear about kids who have climate anxiety, Mm -hmm. I take that seriously when I hear that like kids have trouble sleeping Mm -hmm. because they're worried Mm -hmm. that the planet is going to be destroyed and um, you know that the cities, the places where they live will be submerged by the oceans. And I thought that's what it was that I can, that sort of felt existential. It felt existential. And I had two fears at that time, myself as an adolescent, that the world would be destroyed by nuclear attack and that Broadway was just not economically viable as a model and that by the time I moved to New York there would be no you know Broadway so those two things were the were really weighing on me um, Samantha Smith did nothing for the Broadway community <laughs> I'm sure she know but but thankfully but, it's still here still yes, here thankfully. and going strong thank yes. goodness but um but she did she did something remarkable and she was just a kid an mm-hmm. ordinary kid and and the trip there was really interesting because she that was not easy to comport herself the way she did. And so that story has been really interesting to tell. So one of the things that I find so enjoyable about Mobituaries is not only is it a second look, but it's a closer look at the first two lines of the original obituary, if you will. Because everyone who who achieves some level of notoriety, this is true, ladies and gentlemen, I've done it. You wonder, all right, when I die... I know. What's the first or second line going to be about me? Anyone who denies that is not being honest with themselves, and they're not being honest with you. Yeah. Okay? And so you look at that lead, and you say, is that true? Yes, but. Or did that completely miss it, or miss it by more than it should have? It seems to me that's one of the exercises you go through in the process. Well, I appreciate that, because I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but I'd like to think that that's what we are doing with it. I hope so. Um, I think you're right. It is interesting to see what that little, is it in a positive? I forget what the the grammatical term for it is, but, you know, Joe Schmo, comma, comma, died today. Right. He was 68 or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What is that thing that is the essence? Yeah. What is the contemporary essence of this person? Maybe right? Maybe incomplete? Maybe more wrong than right. And it seems to me that's one of the things you're trying to excavate. Yeah. And, and look, that changes with I mean, different eras because, you know, a while back when Jerry Lee, Jerry Lee Lewis died, some of the, the um, I could see that some of the obits were balancing his legendary career as a rock and roller with his personal life in trying to smush it in there. Mm-hmm. You know, an earlier era would not have worried about the personal side. I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. What is that? Is there, oh, thank you so much. That, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Wine break. Yeah, wine, actually, no, no, it's not a wine break. <laughs> so, but it is a break in the video action, yeah. which is which is we're at Trattoria dell'Arte in Midtown Manhattan. It's, it's a functioning, real, moving, wine indulgent restaurant. So that's great. This is um, not a rehearsal. No, it's, it's, the, it's the kids say, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, this is not a drill. I thought they say. And it's uh, an appraisal plus more and. 
what do you find about the podcast space that gives you that elbow room? Well, I think certainly the space, the time, you know, that you can take, which I don't, you know, I don't want to abuse that. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes on streaming shows you think, well, you know, maybe you could have used a, commer- a, a network exec telling you, sorry. Five episodes, not eight. Yeah, exactly. You know, 40 minutes, not 70. Like, right. you didn't need that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but uh, I think there's there's room for that. I also think, you know, probably sometimes for intense interviews, not, you know, showing up with just a microphone, mm-hmm. people will open up a little bit without more. Without question. Without question. I think so. And one of the things that I find, and you will probably feel humble about this in a way that I don't intend, like, oh, Major, what are you saying that for? But you have convening authority. There are people who will talk to you that enlarge this project and these and these concepts it feels to me well i hope so i mean that's that is nice of you to say that and i hope so i hope as people listen to more episodes or or see interviews that they like that i've done um that it will make them more open to it i know with you know with john denver that there was a a lot of protectiveness around him and i thought all right right. you know um but but who's who is the leading character of that episode his ex-wife right annie yeah yeah. And and that uh, that had to take some doing. It, it did. I think she needed to know that this was not this was coming from. I know it sounds corny, but from a place of love, and right. it is. Right. It is. Which you know, um, th- 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 that's there, there's a way you know from a place of love to get to to make discoveries. And in the last minute or so we have, Mo, it feels also that one of the things you want to help people understand is that. There is an American story. It has lots of characters. There are yep. lots of complexities to it. And we should spend some time with it. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, and, um, yeah, and I want to tell more of those stories. And, well, I mean, yeah, because I really like America. <laughs> and, like, and think there are a lot of great stories and there are a lot of things to be happy and proud about. And, uh you know, and and um, there are a lot of heroes, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, I don't want it to be hokey, and right. um, but uh, sure, I mean, that, I'm, I hope there are many more episodes so that we can keep telling stories about people who overcame struggles and achieved great things in part because they were here. So uh, Jamie Benson, who was behind the camera uh, with us this episode and running audio, and who was an integral part of integral, obituary parties. Integral. And has been part of my success in the debrief and the takeout for the better part of six years. Had an idea, and you latched on to it. So let's roll with this a little bit. He said, "Major, why don't you think of a possible mobituary? Can I suggest one?" Please, Kurt Flood. Who is Kurt Flood? Beautiful, yeah. beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> I'm already intrigued. Kurt Flood played Major League Baseball. He played Major League Baseball for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was an all-star outfielder. Jeez, the Cardinals. African American. Mm-hmm. Kurt Flood went to federal court to challenge the reserve clause, which was something that existed in Major League Baseball until Kurt Flood came along. What was the reserve clause? It said every Major League Baseball team reserved the right to keep you on their roster until they changed their mind. You could never opt out of your contract for the perpetuity of your Major League career. Kurt Flood said that disabled him and every other Major League Baseball player from their rights to test their value among other teams. 
Kurt Flood went to federal court, won his case, and began the era of free agency. Free agency. Yes. So that's how we got free agency. Correct. I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. Well, I'm instantly drawn to it also because I know how Cardinal fans are just so fervent, and which and, makes and them really and interesting. And they're the best baseball fans in the country. Yeah. I've been to many baseball games in St. Louis, and they know the game. They are yeah. deeply appreciative, and Missouri has a complicated history in our country sure with with race relations dating all the way back to to pre-civil war times um the dred scott case originates in part in missouri kurt flood is an enormously important part of the american story and the assertion of rights and the searching for rights in a different context athletics but was enormously important to the game we see before us today love that right so that's 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 one suggestion great um, what else you got? <laughs> we got a lot of we got seasons to fill. Need more material. Uh, now uh, this this can't happen yet uh, because uh, he's still with us. But when the day comes, and I hope it's not soon, I believe Jerry Brown would deserve an examination for his multi-decade career in politics that has more twists and turns than I think anyone comparable. Well, and also Jerry Brown, I mean, at one point he went and worked in Calcutta with Mother Teresa. Yes. I mean, he's had a really he's interesting life. He's had a fascinating life. life, and he was this Roman candle in American politics yeah. early in his career, and he's very reflective about the mistakes he made and the hubris that came with it. Then, and this is one of the things that I'm drawn to, not ideologically, not because of party, but because of I believe people who stay in the arena deserve appraisal yeah. for staying in the arena because it's not easy to stay in the arena. He was very high, and then he went back and became a mayor right. in a very tough city to be of a mayor. Oakland, Oakland. Right. right. Way up high, back down low, and then served and understood, and he learned more about being a good leader and being a good deliverer of services to a community then he rose to attorney general then he became governor again and ushered california into its sort of modern future i just think he is someone who spans decades and isn't rigid in any of those particular decades well and i love that that he went from governor to being mayor it reminds me a little bit of john quincy adams going from president Mm -hmm. to a house rep and that being his happiest time actually as a house rep and uh um and, uh, and and didn't Jerry Brown dated Deborah Winger also? So he, he, Linda Ronstadt. Like, Linda Ronstadt. Sorry, yes. Bob Carey dated Deborah Winger. Indeed. Did they both date Deborah Winger? I don't want to do that to Deborah Winger. <laughs> but anyway, the, Linda sorry, Ronstadt. Everyone what? dated Deborah Winger. No, no, the, um, no, no. Um, uh, the, uh, um, uh, the um, yeah, Linda Ronstadt, of course. Uh, but yeah, no, he's it, what an interesting life. Well, mm-hmm. we wish him well. We wish you well, Jerry Brown. Absolutely, but, absolutely. I'm not yeah prematurizing that if that's even a word, but. I do think there is something worth saying about Jerry Brown because he occupies different... And and he is an embodiment of the 70s in a certain way, a caricature of that time. And you either stuck with that or you matured out of it. And I think that journey is is interesting. God, can I? You know how far we've fallen. I remember in 1992 when he was in the primary against mm-hmm. Bill Clinton. That was the first presidential campaign I covered. Oh, okay. And I remember listening to WAMU. I think it was still called there, and Diane Rehm. And somebody called up and went. Well, Governor Moonbeam, and then she went and she went, 
we do not insult people on this show. And she made the caller apologize and how far we've fallen. Because yes, now everyone just insults each other all the time. Yes, but then that was proof like, of your authenticity to insult. Right. Yeah. I'm authentic and I don't insult. I'm Major Garrett Mo Rocca. What a pleasure! Thanks, man. And we'll you're not. And I'm eating anchovies and you're not insulting me. Not I at mean, all. No, that says you something. You go for it because I'm not touching them, Mo. Not today. Not ever. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Takeout with Major Garrett, a weekly podcast from CBS News. If you like what you heard, may I ask you to follow The Takeout? Just like Mobituaries, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or all together now, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week with more new episodes from Season 3 of Mobituaries. Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic and asteroids, what's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.